Hello, this is Bernie Davis. Hi, Mark Davis. And welcome to our Interview Swansea and West Wales podcast. Nassi retired from the police service in April 2011 after a distinguished career spanning 31 years. During that time, he served in three police forces in Wales and England and ultimately attained the rank of Chief Constable. He was awarded the Queen's Police Medal for his outstanding contribution to policing in 2011. In August 2019, Mick was appointed Chair of the Board of Social Care Wales a Welsh government-sponsored body which sets standards for the social care workforce and contributes to longer-term improvement in the sector. He is also currently chairing the Independent Oversight Panel, which was established by the Minister of Health and, sorry, for the Minister for Health and Social Services, following an adverse review of maternity and neonatal services in the former Cumtaf University Health Board area. Today, Mick joins us to share with us the recent experiences that social care Wales have had with the pandemic, how they have overcome it, and how he sees the way forward. Welcome, Mick. Thanks, Bernie. Um, thanks very much for inviting me to join you. Thank you for that very warm welcome, and I will try and live up to that very generous billing. Um, so, uh, Bernie's asked me just to speak for maybe 10 minutes, just to set the scene, and then she assures me that you'll have lots of interesting, challenging questions, which will fill the rest of the hour, and if not, you'll have an early lunch and I can get back to building my gazebo in the garden which is where I was first thing this morning so um, it, I don't have a funny story but I do have a claim to fame uh, and that is that I am the 1977 Ashbourne Young Farmers Welly Wanging Champion I don't know if you've ever seen uh, Welly Wanging but basically uh, young farmers grab hold of a huge Wellington boot and they try and throw it as far as they could possibly can it's a source of great pride. Uh, it's all very kind of macho and, uh, you know, very, very serious. And um, my dad was an ice cream man. And he, he asked me to go and cover the Ashbourne show. And off I went with the ice cream van. And I saw the Welly Wanging competition. And I got a girlfriend then. And she was, she was saying, well, why don't you go and have a go? And I could see that it was just not going to be, it was going to be embarrassing because there's an art to it. And it's the way that you grab the Wellington and you've got to have huge forearms and massive power. So anyway, I did... I was persuaded to have a go uh, and for some reason I just caught it absolutely perfectly uh, and maybe it was the wind or, or the conditions or something but it, it flew out of the showground over the hedge into the field beyond and was the, the, the longest throw apparently that's ever been recorded and I don't think the record will ever be beaten so you know I've, as you heard I've got a, a CB and a QPM but they all pale into insignificance when it comes to being the young farmers Ashbourne Wallywanging champion. And that's my claim to fame. I've, I've probably kind of learned as much uh, from, from you as you're going to learn to me. It's been fascinating listening to you talking about your experiences. I was particularly struck by Emma's business model because I sit here looking through the door into my wife, well, our bedroom. We share a bedroom, actually, my wife. Uh, and my <laughs> mother-in-law's ashes uh, sit in on the dressing table there. Um, they've been there for about two years. It was quite difficult to start with, but I got used to the idea. And I can still sleep now, but you know, just <laughs> reflecting on just how difficult a time that was for life, and how you know that the issue of you know where do you get the ashes from, what do you do with them, how do you get them home, and all those things are a really traumatic experience for her. And I think that kind of business model 
Emma, sounds like it's got a lot of potential. So. Yeah. So, thank you very much, Mick. Sorry, I just wanted to say thank you because it, it is a horrible time for a lot of people. And yeah. um, to make a difference to somebody and the way that we've set up our business now, it's basically we, we're there to serve people and be caring. So, yeah, yeah that's really nice feedback. So thank you. Yeah, great. I'll, I'll watch with interest. Thank you. So, um, just a, a bit about my background and how I got to be uh, chair of uh, the Board of Service Care Wales. So, um, I still refer to myself as the, the new chair of Social Care Wales and I hope that it accounts for the fact that I'm still on a very, very steep learning curve. Uh, and as you'll find out in the next 20 minutes or so, still learning when it comes to my knowledge and understanding of the social care sector. I've actually been in the role for a year now, although for the last six months, as I suspect many of you will be doing your own roles, I've actually been chairing the organisation virtually for my study. Um, in practice, uh, you know, as, as you've discussed, it's worked out fine. Uh, and when things get back to normal, whatever normal is, uh, I'll be doing much more of that. But it certainly wasn't what I envisaged when I, I took on the job. So the, the Board of Social Care Wales is a, a lay board. Uh, it has 14 members and they're, very, they're drawn from a very wide range of backgrounds to represent the various aspects of social care. But the minister uh, deliberately appoints somebody like me, who's got no previous background in social care, to be the chair. Uh, and that's because it brings a different perspective. It brings a kind of, you know, broader range of of kind of experience and knowledge to it. So I hope you, you have seen from my uh, brief pen picture that I do bring other skills and experience to the role, quite a broad uh, range of senior leadership experience in the public sector. And I have chaired an organisation in an equally complex setting, but I've not previously been in, involved in social care. So for, very fortunately, uh, I'm surrounded by a board which is very talented, usually committed people, uh, one of whom, as you know, is Damien, who is ultimately responsible for me being here today. But, uh, by uh, background, I'm a police officer, uh, and as Bernie said, served in three different forces in, in Wales and England. Uh, and ultimately, you know, if you join a profession as a 20-year-old, you know, to get to be, you know, the chief constable is, is, is a huge source of pride in the profession that you love. So I won't, I won't repeat what's in the biography about a police career, but what I will say is it was an absolute privilege being a, a police officer, very genuinely. I got to see some of the best and the worst of society and I got to do and see some things that most people only ever get to see on the TV. So, for example, I spent 12 months working with the SAS and the security services designing a counter-terrorist training exercise. I spent two years policing environmental protests uh, around the construction of the M6 bypass. That was a fascinating experience. Uh, I met Swampy, which I suppose is another claim to fame. Mm -hmm. uh, and then one of my last uh, significant tasks was taking charge of the policing operation for the 2010 Ryder Cup at the Celtic Manor. Again, fabulous experience that, you know, just uh, people would pay to have. Um, so, you know, policing has been great to me. Um, the time I spent in Merseyside uh, dealing with serious and organised crime and drugs and gun crime, perhaps the most fulfilling professionally. But I can honestly say there wasn't a single day in, in those 31 years when I got up in the morning and thought, I don't want to go to work today. I don't think there's many people who can say that. Uh, there was a few where I wished I was back in bed because it didn't get quite go how, how I expected it to go. But you know, being able to say that about your career, chosen career, I think is a huge privilege. So uh, I never lost my passion for policing, keen and enthusiastic the day I left as the day I joined. Um, and one of the really good things about being a senior leader in the police service is that you never cease to be a frontline police officer. So, you know, when you've had enough of the business plans and the budgets and the politics and the endless round of partnership meetings, you just put your hat on, go out on the streets with the troops and you're back on the front line doing the job that you loved. And um, 
you know, that was really important to me. So I'm not sure how I would cope in the current environment, given the, the way things have changed, but uh, if I got the chance, uh, I'd do it all over again. And again, I don't think there are too many people who would say that about their job. So, as you can probably tell, I could probably spend the whole hour talking about policing, but that's not what Bernie asked me to do. So, uh, I'll leave it there, and if you want to pick that up in discussion, if that's of interest to you, that's great. So, that my career from, moved from policing to social care has been equally challenging, but again, very fulfilling. So, I retired in 2011, spent two years working in local government, uh, and on the back of that, then spent five years chairing the board of the Welsh Ambulance Service, which again, was a hugely challenging time for the service it was in the spotlight for all the wrong reasons and over four years you know working with a new chief exec and a new leadership team we managed to turn the organization around it still has challenges you know it will always have significant pressures but it's a very different organization than the one i joined so both of those fantastic experiences just allowing me to make the gradual transition from a kind of an executive role to a non-executive role and that's a transition that many people find quite difficult including me so you kind of, you know, you're brought up in a world where you're in charge and you make the key decisions yourself. And it's really difficult to step back and hold others to account for doing the things that you used to do when you were the boss. But I've managed to make that transition now. I think it's been an interesting journey. I've made some mistakes along the way. Uh, none of those have been terminal. That's why I'm still here. But um, it's been an experience. But what I've learned through those varied kind of careers in the public sector is the context varies. So the service is different. But the fundamental issues that we all struggle with in public service, I'm sure they're the same for you and your sectors, your roles, is that I think, you know, they're, they're the same thing. So, you know, it's invariably about managing and increasing demands for service with a resource base that's reducing in real terms. Um, people's expectations, quite rightly, are increasing. Uh, and, and particularly you know, those who use your services, those who represent those users' services. So, they, you know, people, people demand more, and rightly so. And that brings with it challenges. And it's really difficult to find new when you, you know, when you're struggling with this kind of complex mix of demand and, and capacity to find new ways of responding in an increasingly complex world and making the best use of technology to do that. And I, and I kind of really envy you listening to Mike talk there, you know, about the ability to move quickly from one platform to another, be able to be flexible and to move your business model to, to reflect changing circumstances. That's really difficult in, in, the, in the public sector because of all the kind of bureaucracy and the governance that surrounds it. And then uh, the, other, the other kind of challenge in every role I've worked in is finding sufficient people of the right quality with the right skills to deliver the services that you aspire to. And, and finally, just providing the right leadership at all levels within the organization, which enables those people to be the very best that they can be. And in my experience, wherever I've worked, it's that leadership issue that's always been the key to, to managing the others. So if you get the right leadership in place, uh, not just at the top of the organization, right through from board, through the senior team, right down to frontline supervision, that's what makes a difference for me. And again, you know, I could spend hours talking about leadership if you're interested. That isn't what Bernie asked me to do, so I'll, I'll move on. Um, so I wasn't really surprised when I got to social care to find a very similar set of challenges facing the organisation and the social care sector more broadly. So I was, I'm very fortunate, actually. I've inherited an excellent board, of which Damien is a key member, a very capable senior team, and an organisation which, by and large, is well-led and well-managed. But those people are wrestling with some very, very significant challenges, and they seem sometimes seem almost impossible to reconcile. 
without some fairly fundamental changes in the way that we do things as a society. So there are things we can change, undoubtedly at service level, but others require fundamental change in the way that social care services are structured and particularly how they're funded. And those changes can only be delivered by government or through a strategic level part, partnership at all Wales level. And it's that system leadership role, trying to influence change without necessarily having the levers to do it. That's what I find most difficult as chair. And it's one that many other people find difficult, particularly about, you know, kind of not having control and trying to influence change. So before I just touch very briefly on some of those challenges, just perhaps say something about Social Care Wales, because it isn't exactly what it says on the tin. I think most people would imagine that an organisation called Social Care Wales would have a kind of an overarching system role in delivering social services in Wales, but like, but like the, you know, the, the National Health Service delivers health services, but that's not the case. So we do have a very important role to play in the framework for social care provision, but we're just one part of what is quite a complex and in some senses quite fragmented framework for delivering social care. So the majority of social care you probably know is provided by the 22 local authorities and that's where the responsibility for commissioning services lie and that's where most of the 1.2 billion pounds a year we spend on adult social care goes. But those services are delivered through a network of over 2,000 in Wales service providers, uh, some in the public sector, some in the voluntary and charitable sectors, but most of them small and medium enterprises like yourself ranging from small businesses employing just a handful of people through to medium-sized national organizations who run a range of services across the UK. But collectively, uh, those 2,000 providers employ 90,500 people, which is actually 20,000 more than the NHS. And social care is the seventh largest contributor to the Welsh economy. And if you kind of add on the value of their suppliers and, and all the change that that creates, uh, they contribute about 2.2 billion pounds overall to the economy. So Social Care Wales is, is one of two organisations which regulates social care sector. The other care inspectorate Wales regulates um, the services and licences the people who provide them. Uh, our role as Social Care Wales is to regulate the workforce. So we set the standards they have to work to to keep the public safe and we provide the skills and qualifications framework to ensure that they're equipped uh, to carry out the role. And, and our, you know, our core function is about public safety and making sure that service users get the, get the care that they need and deserve. And we, we have a number of wider responsibilities. For example, we're responsible for uh, setting the social care research agenda, and we work with others in the sector to drive long-term improvement. Um, we're currently registering uh, around about 33,000 social care workers. Uh, most of those are either social workers or domiciliary care workers people who go into people's, people's homes to provide support. But over the next two years, we're expanding the register and we'll move to around about 60,000. And most of those will be residential care workers, you know, the people that we've seen very much at the forefront in response to, to COVID-19. So to do that, we have a staff of around 120 people, a budget around about 20 million. And about half of that is paid out in grants or bursaries to students. So if you want to know more about the organisation, how it's governed, I'll be happy to pick that up in the conversation that follows. So I've touched on some of the key challenges that the social care sector faces. And, you know, whilst they're not entirely within our gift, uh, influencing change and improvement is a significant part of our work as, a, as an organisation. 
So I think we all know there's elections coming up in the next 12 months in Wales and all of the parties are developing their manifestos. And it's very clear that on the back of the awareness that's been raised by COVID-19 that social care is going to be a, a key kind of battleground in, in, in the political environment over the next period. So, so we've been regularly asked over the last few, few months what the challenges are facing social care in the next 10 to 15 years. So, so we produced a document which is called Social Care Matters and it kind of explains what the evidence says about what needs to be done in social care going forward. Uh, and in that we've identified uh, five key issues, none of which will probably be a surprise to you, which the next government in Wales will need to tackle for the sake of the well-being of the people of Wales and particularly those who need care and support now and in the future. So I'd be happy to expand again if they're of interest to you, but in essence there are, there are five key issues. So firstly, we need to find a sustainable longer-term funding settlement for social care. So local authorities are already struggling to meet demand with the money they've got available, but the evidence suggests that demand will increase exponentially over the next 10 to 50, 15 years. So uh, the King's Fund estimates that it will social care spending will need to rise by about 4.1% a year just to keep pace with existing demand. Um, but the reality is that society is changing and changing very rapidly. So just to, some quick projections, you probably have heard these and be familiar with them, but by 2041, which you know is only 20 years away, the number of people over 65 is expected to have increased by about, about 37 people. 37%, sorry, not 37 people, that would be great, wouldn't it? 37%. So, you know, it's a massive increase in, in the group of people who may need access to social care and support. But it's, it's the, the over 85s, uh, you know, who you know more, more likely to rely on social care. And the over 85s in society are expected to increase by 119% by the year 2035. So over the next 15 years, the number of 85-year-olds in society are going to double. And that creates a huge challenge for the social care sector. And, and um, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of difficult to, to take this in, but 26% of people in Wales currently have some sort of life-limiting or, or long-standing illness or disability that impacts on their daily lives and needs care and support. So it's very clear that uh, demand is going to increase for social care. A recent study suggested that over the next 15 years, we might have to spend an extra £1 billion on social care. And realistically, you know, even if government you know, maxed out on its spending on social care, probably only a third of that will come from increased um, public spending. So as a society, we're gonna to have to think very differently about how we care for people, about how we pay for social care, if that's what we want to do. Uh, and, and we're gonna to have to find a different way of doing things because this way uh, is not gonna work in future. Uh, and it, it's, it's interesting that when the, the National Health Service was created in 1947, uh, I think it was, um, the social care problem was recognised then. You know, people, people knew that there wasn't an answer to social care and it was brushed under the carpet on the basis of the fact, well, you know, people will look after their older generations. You know, mums will stay at home and care for their, their mothers and, their, uh, and disabled people. And, you know, whilst that, that carried through for a while, it doesn't carry through now. So we're going to have to think differently about the way we, we provide social care. So the second area, uh, very briefly, where change is needed is around fair recognition for social care workers. You might have heard that it's, a, it's been a significant feature 
of the current um, you know, media reporting around social care. It's often referred to as parity of esteem, and, and it's obviously a, a, quite often a comparison between what you earn in the, in the NHS and the benefits that you get in the NHS and, and what a person doing a similar job in social care would receive. And the current pandemic really has just shown how crucial the social care workforce is. Um, social care workers have put themselves at risk to support those they care for. You know, we've seen stories of people living in the back of a, a van on the car park of a, their care home in order to, you know, to, to stay in a position where they can provide care. And, you know, it, it's, it's often been said that the social care has been the scaffolding, which has enabled the NHS to function during this period. And, you know, not surprisingly, social care is one of the five occupations in the UK with the highest rates of coronavirus related deaths because social care workers have been on the front line. But social care workers, on average, are paid much less than other key workers. And over 56% of social care workers earn below the voluntary living wage. And that makes it very difficult to, to attract and retain the right people in the sector. And that needs to be addressed. And if we're going to attract and retain a well-motivated, highly skilled workforce, then we have to change the way that things are done. The third area I suspect which will be of interest to you particularly is, is around we need to find a better way of supporting small and medium enterprises working in the sector. So there are around about 2,000 uh, businesses in Wales working in, in the social care sector. They range from you know, very small half a dozen people right up to the big nationals and, and the current pandemic has just shown how fragile the care sector is uh, and you know many businesses particularly in the, in the child care sector are reporting the risk of going out of business as a result of their increased costs and reduced income. Uh, as I said earlier, the, you know, the sector contributes to £2.2 billion to the economy, it employs 90,500 people. And it needs business support, it needs financial backing to flourish because not only are they critical in terms of providing care, they're also vital in helping the economy to recover as the pandemic survives. And if we lose the social care sector, you know, there's significant loss of jobs and capacity. So the fourth area where we need to change is, is in developing new models of care and support. Uh, and, and in particular, we need to accelerate digital transformation. And that's an area that uh, Damien, as a board member, is particularly keen to promote. COVID has demonstrated what could be possible in making better use of technology, you know, both in terms of equipping staff uh, to, to provide services better, but also enabling people to access services in a different way. And so far, we've only scratched the surface. And, you know, we have to put the infrastructure in place. And most importantly, we've got to create the digital literacy amongst staff and service users that will enable that to happen. And then finally, and this is particularly relevant to us, we need to make sure that we can recruit and retain people of the right caliber, who are well-trained, well-led and well-motivated. And, and in that regard, we've just published our 10-year health and social care workforce strategy, jointly with the NHS, which is a really significant step forward. And that's currently in government, and we're hoping that they will launch that very soon. So that's just very a quick overview of some of the key issues. And then just finally, COVID. So I'm conscious I'm running over time, so I'll be brief, uh, and I will, won't make it a war story. So I guess you could divide our COVID experience into two parts. So one is how it's impacted on the organisation. The other is how it's impacted on the sector. So in both kind of areas of being consequences, uh, but... And again, it's something that you've been talking about this morning, from adversity comes opportunity. 
and we're seeking to use the experiences we've had in a positive way to move forward. So from right from the start of the uh, pandemic, we've been working with uh, a group of partner agencies uh, and with Audit Wales and their Good Plastics Exchange to capture the learning from COVID as it happens. And then we intend to use that learning going forward to build our strategic plans to, to tease out the opportunities. So from an organisational perspective, we, we made the transition from office based to remote working within three days, uh, no major consequences uh, in terms of operational outcomes. And we, we managed to maintain our governance arrangements, which I think is essential when you're operating on the boundaries of, of, of governance in the unprecedented circumstances. So what we've learned, uh, uh, and a great deal I suspect is what you, what you will have learned yourself, is there is huge potential for more agile working. Uh, there are massive opportunities to make better use of remote technology. And what we've learned is there is a different way of engaging with staff and caring for their well-being. So we, we're looking forward to building those into our plans. One of the things we're particularly interested in is what we can learn about how things get done. So I'm sure you've all experienced this. What would have taken 12 months to get done under normal circumstances got resolved in a matter of days under crisis conditions. So just for example, uh, you know, getting legislation change takes forever but but in the early stages of the pandemic we managed to get legislation through the Welsh Government and through all the different consultation processes to enable retired social workers to come back into the sector to, to help and that was done in a week you know if, if we tried to do that no it would take us 12 months uh, another good example is social care worker ID cards so remember very early in in the pandemic um, you know we clapped for the NHS but in the early stages we didn't clap for social care and it was only two or three weeks in that people realised how important social care was. Uh, and NHS workers were getting access to, uh, you know, early access to supermarkets. They were getting benefits that supported their, the role they were playing. And social workers, social care workers couldn't get that because they couldn't identify themselves. So within the space of about a week, um, an idea which had been six months in the planning to produce an ID card for social care workers went through the whole process. They were produced, published, distributed in the hands of social workers within a week. And, you know, it provided a massive morale boost for the workforce at the time when they most needed it. If it wasn't for COVID, we'd still be, we'd still be talking about that now. So there is much we can learn about, you know, operating in those conditions. So from a sector perspective, you don't need me to tell you because it's been a constant feature of media reporting. Social care sector has taken a significant hit in the early stages of the pandemic. You know, many social care businesses are still at risk uh, and the government's policy around care home admissions and testing arrangements still hugely controversial. Difficulties around fair access to PPE. Um, and, you know, although the huge contribution social care staff made uh, was eventually recognised, in the early stages they were largely overlooked when compared to the NHS. So it, it, I think it's probably fair to say that the worst may yet to be come may yet may be yet to come for the social care sector so as things start to return to whatever normal is in the future the longer term impact of covid you know so the damage to the economy the adverse impact on family life young people whose education and social development has been disrupted problems around alcohol and mental health all those things are going to create more demand for social care uh, and put even more pressure on a system which is already creaking at the seams but the, the good news is and and this is the final point is that COVID-19 has put social care in the spotlight. Yeah. So in a, in a Wales Omnibus survey, which was conducted in June, 
90% of the, of the public said they had a higher opinion of social care workers than was the case before the pandemic. Mm -hmm. And 70% 70 70 of people felt that those working in social care should benefit from similar pay conditions to NHS workers. And it's something we've been trying to get into the public psyche for a long time. And at the same time, COVID has, has highlighted in a very real and very public way the challenges that I referred to earlier that I won't repeat. So all these issues are now in the public consciousness much more than they were, and it very much appears to be on the political agenda. And we hope that going forward, that provides some leverage which we can use. I'm sure you all do, because as, as I said, uh, I hope you found that mildly interesting and uh, right okay thank you so much Mick now I am thinking we have a little bit of uh, internet are we there are we no. all there are we all there uh, Yes. Okay. Fabulous. Okay. Yeah, thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, thank you so much, Mick. Right. We can. We can. We almost lost you just now from our end. <laughs> the wonderful world of world of Zoom. Right, Mick. So thank you so much. But I've got to say, remember when we had our chat before talking about what we're gonna do today. I um, realized that during the time when you were a chief um, constable, is it? Is that the title of um at Newport? Yes, where's Mick? Yeah, unmute it. Oh, do I need to unmute? Or yeah. Unmute yeah, yeah. It's Chief Constable, was it the, the title, wasn't it? Yes, Chief Constable was of Gwent. Yes, right. I had need to for support um, of the, the police in um, Newport at the time. I just felt my safety was not, um, you know, was compromised. And you, the service I got from you, your, under your care, it was incredible under your leadership. Absolutely. I didn't know people would come out and do your windows and do all sorts because a lady rang and said um, she doesn't feel too safe. <laughs> Incredible stuff. So I, I have all respect for the, you know, the, 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 the police in, in that, that you were you supervising Gwent at the time. Fantastic. Right. And then now going, you've done a, a fantastic whistle stop tour of your, 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 your work, your journey and in particular, the social care Wales um, agenda. And I think a lot of people now understand it more than they did before. Uh, am, I right? am I right that this, my sound isn't good? I think I got a message from Mike saying it's not good. Am I any better now? Better? Okay, right, no, okay. So I wanted to ask you a question because I know a lot of people have, have learned a lot. I am very keen, but are, what are the opportunities there for save us in the business world, for us to get involved and support, just as, you know, business people in the community to support the social care Wales agenda. Um, uh, services are, are generally commissioned through, um, through, through local authorities. So, you know, mm. the, the, there's, there's quite a complex process where, you know, a local authority will put, put out a, a kind of tender for service and then people will come along and kind of bid for those, uh, services so so most you know kind of service provision is provided at, at the local level um, right. and so you know I'm not kind of overly familiar with that 
mean, from our perspective, you know, we, we need the same kind of, you know, business support that most other organisations need. So I was really fascinated to hear about some of the ways that you are engaging with your prospective customers, you're talking to, to clients and you're networking. Because, you know, one of the things that we, we have a, a campaign, which is called We Care Wales, which is uh, our, our national recruitment and retention campaign it's quite imaginative it's you know it's very very visual we've we've managed to get you know radio and television adverts just trying to change people's perception of what a career in social care might mean because you know most people's view is that the social care workforce is you know kind of unskilled um might be paid as unskilled but it isn't actually and and we've just we've just done a survey which shows that i think around about 80 percent of the people that we've just taken onto the register already had uh, an existing qualification, you know, <clears throat> earned through uh, a, you know a local education college or through some distance learning uh, that they're bringing to the party. But the reality is that you have a choice: you can either be a social care worker or you can go and work on the checkouts at Morrison's. And that's not that's not to dismiss working on the checkouts at Morrison's, but it but you know in terms of the responsibilities and some of the challenges that you have to deal with as a social care worker, they're not comparable. But, you know, it is it is low paid work. And so we are trying to, as well as, um, you know, kind of tackling the pay and, and equality issues, we're also trying to create a different perception amongst the public about social care as a career. You know, we particularly need younger people to come in who see this as a longer term career. You know, we, we particularly need, you know, um, people in social care, in need social care, often need role, role models. It's really difficult to attract younger males into the profession because they don't yeah, see it yeah. as a worthwhile career. So, yeah. so those are the kind of areas where we often go out for business support, you know, particularly yeah. in developing those kind of strategies and, you know, gaining the, the, the knowledge and the, the, yeah. the capacity that we need in order to put those things together. So I guess that's where the opportunities are and how you access them is, is probably, you know, the, unfortunately the public sector commissioning arrangements, I'm sure you've, you've noticed are a bit cumbersome. You know, it's yeah. not like you networking and deciding you'll work together and then doing it. You know, yes. it can be quite yeah. complex. Yeah, but, but I think, I think the community we... can probably just help to support your initiatives just to be more aware of what's going on yeah. and to raise awareness for it. And, and that brings me actually, uh, sorry to, to uh, interrupt you, please carry on. But then um, it, it, you, what you just said flows really nicely into a question by Kevin Heyer. But if you just finish that, um, what, what you were just saying and then we'll move on to that question by Kevin. I was just, I was just going to say we, we, we're just kind of realising that you, you can't just kind of commission services from small and medium enterprises and let them get on, on with it you know and I think that was the philosophy wasn't it that you put social care out to the private sector and, and yeah. you know people will provide the services well you know in, in reality it's much more complex than that it's a partnership and whilst there, you know there has to be a commercial element to it yeah. You know, we have to work together in partnership with with business to make sure that we provide services in the right environment for people. And what COVID has, has identified is that it's very fragile, very vulnerable. You know, many of these businesses are operating right on the margins of profitability. It's very difficult for them to get staff in. And, you know, the pandemic has demonstrated how easy it is to tip the balance. And so, you know, on the back of that, I think there will be a new kind of thinking about the partnership between business and and, and, the, and the social and then the public sector. That's fantastic. Thank you. Thank you, Mick. Uh, Kevin, your question. Do you want to ask yes. it or do you want to? Yeah, go on. Uh, Mick, I just wanted to say thank you for fabulous insight. 
you are as far as care the care industry it is or has been the forgotten industry in the past until you actually need it and i we've got the situation where my father my father-in-law currently suffers with dementia and has full-time carers and my question is how in the future because it's so valued what's given we can't survive without it how can you bridge that wage gap and actually turn around and offer an opportunity where these people are paid properly? Um, I mean, I think it's firmly on the agenda and, you know, the, the conversations taking, are taking place in, in the background. There is some, something called, you know, fa the, the, the Fair Work um, Commission, which is looking at, you know, kind of uh, levelling up the playing field and that, and that work is actively ongoing. It's difficult because, you know, some people are in the private sector and some people are in the public sector, so you can't control paying conditions. But there is a, an increasing uh, interest in some sort of national paying conditions and, and, and in terms of service for, for, so, for social care workers. I mean, ultimately, it will need investment. And, and as a society, we need to think about how we pay for social care. But there's also a lot we can do, you know, before we start worrying about more money. So, you know, the way that health and social care work together could be much more efficient. You know, I, I heard a, an account of somebody who, you know, needed quite a lot of, of, of care and support. That, but they, they, was, they were supported by 26 different people, you know, some of them in health, physiotherapists, um, you know, district nurses, uh, domiciliary care workers. And so all those people, you know, kind of going into a person's home must be very confusing for the service user. But there's a massive cost to ending that because some of those tasks could be done by one person. You know, so, so we have to think um, fundamentally differently about the relationship between health and social care and break down some of the barriers and start to integrate the two services much more. So, so it's eight seamless for the service user, but it's much more cost effective. We've also seen you know, during COVID, just how much potential there is in, in using technology to, to enable communication. So there are some fantastic things out there. I went to see a lady uh, a few months ago. I went out to um, Torvine County Borough Council as part of kind of fact finding. And I went out with their technology team and some of the things that they got to get to, to technology they could use to help people to live better lives was just incredible. Even things like, um, Older people who are lonely um, have a disproportionate impact on not just social care, but on, on, on the emergency services because, you know, they need help and support. They've got nowhere to go. And quite often they, they pick up the phone and talk to the ambulance service or, or they'll talk to the police or that, you know, they, they, they need help and support. And uh, they came, came up with the idea of having um, robot cats, it sounds bizarre, but they've kind of got these cats that purr and move and wag the tail. Uh, and for, you know, for people who are lonely with dementia, it brings them some sort of comfort, some sort of com companionship. Uh, and, and there is evidence to show that that has an impact on their, their need for social services. I'd say another lady who'd been provided with this fantastic uh, piece of equipment that delivered her pills on, on a, to time in the right doses. Uh, you know, it's some sort of a box and it had a carousel in it and it was remotely controlled. The chemist knew when it was empty and got it filled. And, you know, that, that saves a massive amount of time and effort from somebody having to go in and administer those, those, um, 
those that, that medication and you know wherever you look you know the kind of things that you're doing in your world the innovative stuff that you're doing has it as an application in health and social care so i think i think if we if we find new ways of working if we optimize technology we can use the money that we already have a lot better but the reality is that somewhere somebody's going to have to pay more because you, you can't fund you know a billion pounds gap by doing things oh. there's got to be more I uh, thank you, Mick. It just, just as an aside, I, uh, in the previous life, I ran a radio station for 10 years and we worked closely with uh, providing testimonials for campaigns. And I met some absolutely inspirational care workers. Absolute, as, and I'm glad you highlighted who were intelligent, right? But they chose to do that profession because they felt it, it wasn't a job, it was a way of life. Yeah. So you, I was actually bowled over by what I saw that time. You, you, don't, you don't do it for the money. I think that's, that's the case. Yeah. And you know, it's been one of the best things that's happened. Is it, did you see Rod Gilbert uh, yes. and his television series about social Brilliant. care? Absolutely fantastic. Our, our, our We Care campaign got the, the biggest boost that it has ever had. We had a massive increase in people who were accessing the site, wanting to see the stories. And it was all on the back of the Rod Gilbert, um, the, the Rod Gilbert, and 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 uh, Sue, our chief executive, is currently courting him to see if he can be our kind of organisational champion because you know those kind of things just make okay. a huge difference, don't they? Thank you, Mick. Yeah, Mick. Um, I just want to go back to what uh, you were touching on just before, Kevin, but it, it relates to that and the Rod Gilbert thing. I think that, you know, it's very similar, you know, to the hospitality industry in a way. I mean, different, completely different things about the pay. You've got so many skilled people working for, you know, the public in effect, but not getting the rewards of what, is, what their services do, you know? And as I say, the COVID thing has really highlighted the, uh, the social care industry. And the Rod Gilbert thing is something that I was just going to mention that that sort of profile, you know, promotional thing is what we need. You know, we need to get people to think of the career in social care. Mm -hmm. It has always been, I think, a sort of secondary thing, like you said before, almost like sort of, well, I can't get a job, so I'll just become an health, you know, worker or something. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's, it's been sort of looked down upon really as it's your last choice, yeah. where really when, when you you know, is to change that perception that is what's needed so that people become interested in it and they want to be part of that. It's, you know, okay, they may not be doctors and things like some of the levels at the NHS, but some of the NHS workers who are sort of on the lower scale um, that, you know, are sort of the auxiliary workers and the people that care, you know, at that level, they're, it, they're, they're just as important. And those people are at least equal to what, you get in the social care side outside of the hospitals and you know that is what's needed i think we just need to promote and, I think and that's where make people business, aware yeah, as businesses people, we can help yeah. we can get involved in that kind of way just to you know come yeah. along yeah. And but it's them. almost like yeah. you know i mean i'm just talking out loud now it's just things come to my head it's almost like we as, as say our, our business community could make people aware of the issues in social care by us doing sort of a, a sort of a conference and things and bringing people together and having people like yourself with yes. slideshows and presentations mm -hmm. and all this sort of thing to sort of boost the awareness mm -hmm. 
you know, because of, it, of the, it, it impacts us because if we're all going to be there sometime, yeah. you know, I'm very pleased to I'm hear sorry. that there's a good chance I'll live till 85, right? <laughs> that's, that's a very good positive thing I love. But I want to be able to be taken care of as well, yeah. you know? Um, so it, it impacts everybody. Yeah, yeah absolutely right. If, if, if you, go on, sorry. If, if you get a chance, just uh, if you go onto the, um, the internet and look at We Care Wales, Okay. Um, you, you'll see our kind of we we uh, we care campaign, and there's some video stories on there from people who have chosen a career in in in, in the public in the social care sector, and they're explaining why they do it, and they're inspirational. You know, some fantastic, fantastic stories, yeah. and um, you know, we just need to get that across to people. But you know, the reality is, as Kevin says, <laughs> you've got to pay people. You know, yeah. it, you know, we all, yeah. we all we all come to work uh, to enjoy our work, and we all got this kind of buzz from what we do but the bottom line is you start to live and with 56 percent of the workforce you know not 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 earning what you know we all recognize is a minimum basic wage to have a, a you know kind of basic life yeah so it's a thank problem. you well we, we know we have uh three more questions left emma cooksey lewis mike armstrong and maggie so if we take those questions in the order i just call them first emma please um, thank you, Bernie. Thank you very much. Um, what an insightful experience that was, Mick, and thank you for that. Um, we actually, as a business, currently, um, through a third party, we, we, we are contracted to carry COVID tests um, in the logistics sector, obviously. So I apologise if I maybe have missed something that you said, because my internet link is rubbish today. But I guess from my perspective, what I'd really like to understand is how you guys as an organization or as a, a platform actually sit and plan with what and how the resources are going to be um, split if you like when it comes to COVID on an already stretched budget because obviously this is something that I can't see us being uh, away from for some time to come whatever way you look at it it's affecting everybody in their lives so how as an organisation do you make it so that your sector can continue to work as effectively as possible? Yeah, I think I think I mentioned, you know, the, the kind of complexity of the delivery framework for social care. So it's, you know, the, the NHS to the NHS, you know, it, it's, it's one body with seven local health boards, you know, and they kind of integrate their service. So, you know, the, the, the social care sector is much more complex. So we, we regulate the social care workforce. Uh, Karen Spectre at Wales uh, regulates the businesses and the premises and licenses people to do it. Local authorities commission and provide services. And then, um, you know, there are 2,000 providers who are providing those services. So it's a much more complex delivery framework and, and it's much more difficult to control. The, the, you know, the bottom line is that government allocates spending. Um, and it, you know, it determines how that goes through so something called the MEG. So I think that's, it's kind of, that's the overall budget that goes to health and social care. And then ministers decide with, within that, you know, how those funds are allocated and how they're distributed between health and social care, but it's very difficult to split it out. So much more often now, funding has been allocated to regional partnership boards where health and social care come together with a very significant pool of that funding. To, to spend it in the most efficient way across the service. So, I mean, at the moment, um, you know, the issue around funding is, is quite challenging. So, <clears throat> you know, there were immediate adjustments made. Uh, you know, I think you will have seen from, 
from media reporting that there was a kind of spend now and work it out later mm. philosophy. Uh, and I think we're just kind of getting to that, you know, working it out stage now. And, you know, as we as social care continue to receive our budget, we continue to be able to operate. Uh, but we're expecting at some stage that, you know, we will be expected to pay some of that back to fund some of the things that have to be done. Mm. So they, you know, they're hugely complex systems and, and it's very difficult. And, you know, at the kind of the macro level, it's fairly broad brushed. You know, mm. it's this much goes to local government, this much goes to, to, to health, you know, so, and, and, and then, you know, the funding then gets kind of distributed down. But um, it is complex and I don't, don't know what the answer is. And it's, you know, slightly outside my remit. So it sounds a bit woolly. Um, no, not at all. I think your remit sounds massive from the sound of it. And, um, you know, at the end of the day, you have my utmost respect because I think what you're doing is very complicated. Um, and obviously, by the sound of it, very challenging. And um, to be perfectly honest with you, Mick, I don't think I, I would want your job. <laughs> Only because <laughs> of the remit that goes with it. Um, and the responsibility more than anything else. So, you know, my hat off goes to you. Yeah, yeah so, uh, you know, I mean, you get used to it, but actually, you know, what what I was thinking about is it's probably far more challenging uh, working on the front line than just sitting in a boardroom 100%. in Cardiff making these decisions, you know, and that's what you have to bear in mind. And I, I did, when I first joined Social Care, I did, I was very fortunate, I got the chance to go out and spend some time on the front line and went to all sorts of different settings. I never had to wipe anybody's bottom. But I did get, you know, I was in the vicinity while bottoms were, were wiped. Mm. And those people have my utmost respect. You know, they, I couldn't do their job. <laughs> you know, so it's, it's all, it's all different. It's what you're used to. It's your, what your part and your contribution is. And I've been very yeah. fortunate. I've had a, you know, a very varied career in the public sector, which I suppose brings me to the point where I can kind of make a difference at that level. But, you yeah. know. Thank you for explaining, because I, I think I missed some of what you said earlier due to my internet. So thank you for explaining that again. That was really helpful. Thank you. Thanks for that, Christian, Emma. Thank you. And thanks, thanks so much, Mick. I know we're taking so much out of you, but you're so generous as well. Thank you. All right, we have Mike and Maggie left. Uh, Mike, you ready for your question now? On mute? Yes. Um, yeah, um, obviously, uh, I do a lot with social media, etc. And I'm on social media all of the time. And um, I've seen a lot uh, to do with the NHS, you know, during the, this, this pandemic, but not so much to do with social and social care. Um, so I just wanted to know, you know, what, what are you, you doing with that fragmented approach with lots of different organisations involved, etc. What's the, the, the plan or the strategy maybe to, to, to knit all of those people together with one voice in order to help? Uh, win hearts and minds and, and focus in order to get that budgets increased and all the other things that, that you need to do going forward really yeah the the um I'm go re really good question i mean the, the nhs is a very a very kind of you know it's almost part of our psyche isn't it it's kind of wired into our brain it's it's such a recognizable brand that kind of everybody knows it everybody understands it everybody has a perception of what it is and by and large it's very positive isn't it you know people's experience of of, um, of, of of the health service not always you know not universally positive but people's general sense says that it's a national treasure you know that they all value it hugely and, and so it, it sells itself doesn't it because it's just social care is a much much more difficult brand to sell it's much more difficult to capture um, you know and quite often people's perceptions of social care are based on things which are negative so they will have seen 
you know, the, the care home scandals that I've seen, the mental health scandals, uh, and, and, you know, that leaves a, a legacy, doesn't it? So as well as, you know, kind of having to create this positive image, you also have to deal with a, with a negative image. You know, social workers don't get a great press, do they? Um, you know, because generally social workers are perceived as, you know, health workers are perceived as making you better when you're ill. Social workers are perceived as taking your kids off you. And, and that, you know, if you, if you turn Emmerdale or Coronation Street on tonight, you'll probably see that portrayal, won't you? You'll see the NHS being portrayed as heroes. You'll get some social worker bumbling and taking your kids off you. So, you know, there's a real kind of um, perception issue that we are tackling. And I mentioned the We, we Care campaign. That's just a, one of a number of campaigns yeah. that have been run to try and change that perception. And that's the one I'm obviously most interested in because we run it. But, you know, other sectors have similar sort of stuff. Um, but but I think, you know, we do need help and we do need support and, you know, we don't have all the ideas. And, you know, just listening to you talk about TikTok, uh, um, I've heard of it because I know President Trump wants to ban it, but I wouldn't have an idea how it works. So, <laughs> you know, I think part of the problem is, uh, you know, people who work in the public sector tend to have worked there for a long time. Uh, of working and it, it's not as fleet of foot fleet of foot as as the public as the private sector so you know whereas you can you know you said to people get on tiktok you know to, to do that in the public sector is a, is a quite a significant shift to, to transition from one way of doing things to another and quite often you have a fixed workforce so you know our, our it people are generally people who are very skillful but they were brought up in a world of you know huge computers and dark rooms and mainframes and you know and and so when we want to do something imaginative around social media we haven't got those people we've got great people but they're not necessarily the people to design apps and to design you know social media out output um so you know we start we're starting to bring some of those people in but it takes time because the old people have to kind of move on you know so I think there's much we can learn, Mike. Um, you know, there is a concerted effort. There is a campaign around raising the, the social care. COVID, ironically, has probably done more than we could do to raise that profile. Uh, we just have to capitalise on that now because, you know, as I said, the, the Wales Omnibus Survey suggested that there had been a massive shift in public opinion uh, about social care. But it, it's all the different things that have to come together because the bottom line is, you know, you think, oh, I'll have a look at social care and then you get the application form. You're going to be paid £9.30 an hour. You might think twice. So all, all those things have got to come together. It's, you know, fair paying conditions. It's the right working conditions. It's security within the sector. Um, and, um, you know, it's then a question of making people want to do it and yeah. stay. Okay, brilliant. Yeah. Thank you so much, Mike. Thanks, Mike, for that question. And um, last but not least, we have Maggie. Question? Thanks for um, the insights. And I don't know, you might have answered this through uh, different ways, but um, recently I've had um, occasion to um, mix with the BAME community more around food. And one of the things that has come up a lot is the number of the BAME community that uh, work in social care, but also the number of BAME community who are asylum seekers and that sort of thing. Who, that is uh, the first line um, job that they get into. And one of the things is I, I want to ask is who takes care of the needs of the, um, uh, of the social care workers? 
um, a particular story came, uh, comes to mind. In fact, more than once I've heard it of um, social care workers having to work, but their children being neglected because there is nothing out there to help and support them. And I, I've heard that, yes, you guys are really working with some really uh, difficult issues, but it, it's something that's come up to me and um, I'm glad of the opportunity to be able to ask you, how is that being tackled, if at all? Yeah, thanks, Mike. It's a really good point. So, you know, who cares for the carers, I think, is the, is, is the question. And, and it, it, it is, you know, it is a strap line that's been developed, actually. Uh, I've heard it said in that way. Um, that you're absolutely right. It is, a, it is a problem. So if you work in the NHS, it's a massive organisation of 70,000 people with a very, um, you know, distinct, distinct structure. Um, you know, it has the capacity to have welfare programmes to provide you know, the proper support for people who are in, in, in difficult and challenging circumstances. Again, we've seen that played out, you know, in the, in the NHS, they've provided safe spaces for workers to move away from the COVID areas to relax and spend time away. You know, if, if you had an occupational health issue, there's an occupational health department that you call on and you can get help and support. So, uh, so social care isn't like that. So there are, you know, quite small businesses in some cases, larger in others, but they they haven't got the capacity to have those support mechanisms in place. So that's one of the things when I talked about creating an infrastructure that supports small and medium enterprises, that's one of the areas that we particularly have in mind. You know, how do you cater for the welfare of a very fragmented workforce when maybe the providers don't have the expertise or the, the capacity to do those things themselves? And, and COVID has really highlighted just how stressful uh, some of those conditions have been uh, and again you know in the NHS very there were issues in the NHS about uh, PPE but you know in, in health and social care in social care those are much more exaggerated you know it took longer to get PPE it wasn't of the same standard and that creates stress for people so in I mentioned our workforce strategy there are a number of golden threads running through that uh, and one of them is about well-being and, you know, we have to find ways and there are plans, you know, about how we will do this It is about, you know, creating a well-being service for social care and that people can have access to going forward. But it is a problem. It's an immediate problem. There isn't an answer currently. Uh, and, you know, it's something we're working towards. So, you know, quite right to, to highlight it. Thank you. Thank you for that. And thank you, Mick, for your answer. Very, very honest and, and um, open answer. And, you know, to be honest, it's a very sobering um, session today, isn't it, guys? Because it's a very sobering topic. It's very relevant. It's very important. And, you know, I am, I, my mind always thinks like a solutions person. I'm always thinking if there's an issue, how can we fix it? And that's why I asked the question, what opportunities are there for businesses now? Because I know I'm not the only one with that kind of mindset. So uh, what I have uh, gathered from this, and I'd like to just remind us all as businesses that we can, you know, as uh, Mick said, we, we are more um, fleet of foot in our sector, in, our, in, in what we do. We can change, we can TikTok, we can uh, get involved. So let us get alongside um, social care with. Let's speak to Damien. He's, he's, he's a man on the ground with us here find out how we can help to raise awareness because it's all about awareness. That's where it starts. Because once we start raising awareness, then we get other people buying in 
who are influencers who can help us to help them to make a, their change. So thank you so much, Mick. This is going to be going on our website. So that's one of the ways we're going to try to raise awareness. Guys, would you please today share on social media, share little uh, bits about uh, what uh, Mick shared and just get engagement, get people interested and more people interested in. I mean, we're not Rob um, Bryden or anything, but you know what? We have a voice and we have a network so we can share and, and raise awareness for social care aware. Thank you ever so much, Mick. Danny, do you want to? Yeah, I think, that? I mean, I'd be very interested to talk to Mick uh, about the sort of social care world becoming a partner of the Intraviz organization so that mm -hmm. we can put their website up on our, you know, um, our page link into the websites of theirs and things like that to, to connect, it. to support it and sharing some of the news, like some of the videos. And as, as a partner of ours, we can then share it through our network. So some of those videos that are on his website, we can share out and, and post out. And, you know, the size of the internet, you know, the Intraviz UK network through social media is, is massive, you know, and if we can just do our More bit. More people talking. Yeah, More people can, talking. And if we can do our bit, you know, it's out there, isn't it? And people start to see it. Yes, thank you ever so much. Thank you very much, me. This episode was brought to you by Intrabiz Swansea and West Wales. Further episodes are available on our website, which is www.intrabizwestwales.co.uk. Thank you for listening.